more than ever, I feel anxious. Now more than ever, school is depressing. Now more than ever, I feel discouraged. Now more than ever, I feel stressed. Now more than ever, I have experienced a lot of hard transitions. Now more than ever, at the City Life Center, I feel encouraged. Now more than ever, I feel happy and am enjoying life. Now more than ever, I feel loved. I feel happy coming here and I feel wanted. Now more than ever, since I've been at YOZ, I feel like family. Young people today are bombarded with so many different narratives due to a heavy social media-driven culture, one that is bent against Christ. And they experience a lot of the same things you and I did when they were younger, but on top of that, they are dealing with a whole new set of challenges. Many young people that we interact with at Youth for Christ on a weekly basis come to us confused, hurting, at times suicidal, And many of them have never stepped foot in a church, let alone heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And at Youth for Christ, we seek to reach young people everywhere, working together with a local church like yourselves and other like-minded partners to raise up lifelong followers of Jesus who lead by their godliness and lifestyle, devotion to prayer, the word of God, passion for sharing the love of Christ, and commitment to social involvement. It is an absolute honor to be with you this morning. My name is Joe Bragg, and I have the humbling privilege of being the ministry director at Kalamazoo Youth for Christ. And it is our blessing to have the opportunity to bring the good news of Jesus to young people and their families in Kalamazoo County. We have several ministry sites throughout Kalamazoo, from a middle school campus life out in Plainwell, uh, to a Michigan Youth Challenge Academy in Battle Creek, which obviously isn't Kalamazoo, but just kind of showing you the scope there. And over the last couple of years, by God's grace and provision, we have been able to open a youth rec center on the east side of town. And at Youth for Christ, we take the responsibility of our calling very seriously It's our desire to see young people come to know Jesus, and it is all to his glory and honor. Amen. We have a lot to cover this morning, so I hope you don't have lunch plans. (laughs) You see, everyone laughs, but I'm like being really serious. That's good. Some of you guys are actually here. That's good. You said a joke. Nobody laughed. I said a joke. Got a couple people laughing, so some of y'all are awake. We're good. (laughs) 
I'm thankful, personally, for the many people who have poured into my life. There are certain individuals that have taken my discipleship and growth in Christ seriously and have given much of themselves to walk alongside me. These, uh, these individuals have been absolutely instrumental in my growth. See, I didn't grow up in church, and I actually didn't come to Christ until I was 27. Now, I don't look a day older than 28, but it was several years ago. But when I came to Christ, I was hungry to learn. And these individuals spent countless hours walking with me, leaning into my life, and they continue to do so to this day. I'm the product of people taking time. People who love Jesus poured into my life in a holistic way. And of course, we had and still have many difficult conversations along the way, and I personally am better for it. You may have already guessed this morning we're going to talk about discipleship and just the importance of us doing things together and coming together as the body of Christ. I'd like to pray, even though we just prayed, I think we can pray more, right? So I'd like to pray and then we're going to dive in this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we thank you for who you are for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and your love. And Father, this morning, I pray that your words take root in our hearts, that it not be about what I have to say, but what you alone have to share through your word. Father, I thank you for this place where we can come and we can sing your praises and we can get into your word. Father, I praise you for this. And Lord, I think of our brothers and sisters throughout the world that just for simply saying the name of Jesus, that persecution comes upon them. Father, give them a boldness in this moment to proclaim your name so that those who are doing the persecution may come and see that you are indeed good. But Father, give us that same boldness as we live in a nation currently where we can share your truth. Father, may we have boldness and may we walk in this place, in this community that you have set us in, as representatives of Jesus Christ, not shrinking back in fear as you have not given us a spirit of timidity, but one of power and boldness. So Father, this morning, we ask that you have your way in our hearts, that we came in one way, but we leave here differently. I thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you that you are with us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory this morning. And it is in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go to the next slide there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may be familiar with him, but he once stated one of the more profound truths as it relates to following Christ. He said that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. In order to be a disciple, one must find themselves under the authority of Christ, fully surrendered to him as he is Lord of our lives. If we are surrendered to Jesus in this way, then we know the call that he has placed on our lives. And this morning we are going to be looking at that call And then closing with Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascended to the right hand of the Father. But see, sadly, I think we take something like discipleship as well as evangelism and we put them in a box. 
We just want this formulaic checklist so that we can say I'm doing a good job or I'm doing it right. And so an example is we maybe share a Facebook post about God and think, well, I've shared a Facebook post and so I'm evangelizing to the world and I'm edifying to the church so all who see it, they're now strengthened and encouraged and those who don't know God, they're going to come to know Him because I shared my post. And sadly, we often leave it there. And we don't do much else. But are we inviting our neighbors over for dinner and sharing the gospel with them? Or if they know Jesus, are we pouring into their lives? Are we making our time with God priority? And are we making people a priority? And I know you guys don't know me, and so I want to say I assure you I'm not coming here to beat you over the head. But I refuse to sugarcoat the reality of what Jesus has called us to and the complacency that you and I battle every day. It is my desire to see the body of Christ function as we are to function. And I do believe that as the result of this desire, it starts with me having to be an example. And so understand that I am preaching to myself first. I would like to sum up discipleship and evangelism in one phrase. And I think this phrase works really well with both of these functions. It's not as complicated as you think. It can actually be quite fun and it can bring great joy. And it's simply do life together. Discipleship and evangelism fit into this phrase to do life together. There are actually 59 one another exhortations in the New Testament. And an exhortation is a strong and emphatic urging. Right? And these expectations, they are, are exhortations tell us how we're to treat one another, how we're to do life with one another, and also the things that we're not to do towards one another. And as our base text this morning, I want us to look at Luke chapter 9. We're just going to have two verses, but trust me, there's a ton of scripture throughout this. But Luke chapter 9, it'll be on the screen. If you want to look it up, you can, but it'll also be up there. Jesus makes it plain that we must die to ourselves daily, pick up our crosses and follow after him. And when he says it, he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. May the Lord add his blessing at the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. See, the phrase come after me here means to become a disciple. And this is made clear in Luke 14, 27, when Jesus states, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's making this very plain that we come after him, that to come after him is to be a disciple. And as a disciple of Jesus, it requires that we first deny ourselves. And that this is not simply a matter of denying certain things, right? Like, oh, I didn't eat that cake, or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that. This is so much more than that. It's about denying personal control of one's life. If you think about the disciples, when they started following after Jesus, many of them left their livelihood and trusted him and followed after him. That this is about surrendering personal control. And second, we must take up our cross. 
This one is intense, but it means that we are making a commitment that will lead to rejection and possibly even death. That we're making a commitment. I don't have to get into Calvary. I don't have to get into the cross super intensely. You guys understand the scene that Jesus died a criminal's death. He was rejected. This cost him his life. Now we know that he went willingly and that this was part uh, in full to pay the debt that we owe because of our sin. We know this, but he's now calling us to pick up our crosses. Ultimately knowing that that means that we will be rejected, that it could cost us our very life. It does on a spiritual level as we surrender and deny ourselves, but it could also cost us our physical life as Jesus is our example of this. And then thirdly, we follow Jesus. Simply put, means we're following the example and teachings of Jesus. And in his day, that meant literally following him and going and doing ministry, right? They dropped everything and they followed him physically. Means the same thing for us today. That we follow his example. That we follow his teachings. That we seek to walk and live and act and be as Jesus There's no sugarcoating this, right? These are the realities set before us in God's word. And as a result, I praise God for three very specific things. One, his word. Two, his spirit. And three, his people. It's by God's word and the power of the spirit that we are transformed from the inside out and we do this life together holding each other accountable to the things of God and bearing one another's burdens. I've already gave like seven points, but we're going to get to the first point now. Something very important for us to understand this morning is that discipleship isn't simply transferring information. Rather, it teaches obedience through obedience. Again, discipleship isn't simply transferring information. Rather, it teaches obedience through obedience. And I actually want to use rabbis as an example. Rabbis have disciples. And these disciples seek to model their life after their rabbis. They go to great lengths to know about their rabbi's life. They seek to then follow that example to the T. Everything the rabbi says or does is important to them. And then they look to graft that into their lives. But to be a disciple of a rabbi, you are chosen by the rabbi. And it is a great honor and one that the disciple takes incredibly seriously. They'll go to extremes where they even want to see like the details of their life. And I won't get into all of that. But they want to know what it looks like in their home. They want to see how they act with their wife, etc., And they want to graft these things into their life. And the key is this, is that proximity is so important in discipleship. Proximity is so important. Jesus did life with the twelve. Right? They went everywhere with him. They studied him. They listened to him. They had opportunities to go and imitate him. And Jesus taught a very profound yet simple method of discipleship. And that's I do, we do, you do. This is Jesus' methodology. I'm going to do it and I'm going to show you. 
then we're going to do it together. Now you go and do it. We see this all over the Gospels. I do, we do, you do. And this requires proximity. In order for you to know what I'm doing, you need to be around me. You need to be watching and seeing, right? And then if I'm being a good disciple maker, we're going to do this together, right? So I'm going to help you in that process. And then when, I, when it seems like you're ready, right, now you go and do it. This is discipleship. We follow Jesus' example. We see what he did. Now we're working on this, right? And then we go out and we do it. It's not overwhelmingly complicated. Though we like to make it that way. And sometimes I think we make it that way because we want to make excuses as to why we're not doing it. And sometimes I just think we think it's complicated. When we look at the I do, we do, you do method, it requires community. It requires it. But we also need to make no mistake that you're being discipled by something or someone. Right? You're either being discipled by God or you're being discipled by the world. What you put in, you will put out. If you're constantly digesting things of this world and neglecting your walk with God, you'll begin to look more like the world than you do Jesus. And the call through the scripture is we should be constantly examining our lives and asking ourselves hard questions according to the word of God. Another very important aspect of discipleship for us to understand, and I'm excited because in two weeks you guys are going to be starting that new series on worship, so this will make a lot of sense, is that discipleship is worship. Discipleship is worship. I'm actually going to read Romans chapter 12. I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2. Again, it'll be up on the screen there. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we don't love the word obedience. For whatever reason, it tends to well up a resistance deep within us. When we hear this idea of obedience, we're like, yeah, I just don't like that. I don't want to do that. Or maybe I'm alone. I tend to feel that way. Especially when I was a kid. And my parents were like, hey, I need you to do this. I was like, I'm going to fight that with every fabric of my being. Even if I knew it was the right thing, I'm going to say no. We just have this problem with it. But yet this is beautiful. Because Paul makes it clear that our obedience to God is worship. It's it basically is saying that I obey God because of who he is and what he has done. And it is evidence of my love for him. That obedience is the result of one who understands the gospel. That I will worship God with my life. Right? Or as like the bumper sticker says, that he died for me, I will live for him. Right? But Jesus says in John 14, 15, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And just before anyone starts accusing me of legalism, 
right? Wouldn't want that. Our obedience goes from have to to get to because true obedience is birthed out of love. Our obedience to Christ goes from have to to get to because it is birthed out of love. Because I love God. Because of what he has done, right? We love because he first loved us. This is evidence through the gospel. And as a result, my response, my worship, is obedience to him. It's taking his call seriously. It's being about what he's about. And we do this together as the body of Christ. And this is beautiful. As Christ followers, we no longer need to fear the word obedience. We no longer need to reject the word obedience. We need to embrace it because we understand that God has a plan. He is for us. His commands are for our good and that he loves us. And as our love is growing in him, we seek to be more like Christ. This is beautiful. And every one of us is a work in progress. And we're all at different places in this. And that's why the body of Christ is so important. And we do life together because you may be somewhere further along in this walk than I am. And there may be a lot of things that I can learn from you. We'll get to that in a minute because that's a little bit more intense. But I am first to be a disciple. And we enter into this process upon salvation. And then after that, I am to make disciples. That this is the call. That I'm to be a disciple who makes disciples. This means that as a body of Christ, that we are to encourage and exhort one another. We're to hold one another accountable to the things of God. That we are to share the truth in love. That it is God alone who makes the difference, right? You and I cannot change hearts. However, God does use us in each other's lives to help bring about change. But never forget your need for Jesus because it will help you when you minister to others in this way. And so that third point is that love tells the truth. Discipleship requires love. Love tells the truth. Discipleship requires love. Now see, okay, like I said earlier, you guys, you don't know me. Right, I just come in here and now I'm like, let's come with the hard truths. Which is kind of nice for me because I get to leave and then Kevin gets to clean up the mess, right? <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> but the reality is, is that before I come and, and, and share God's word, I'm on my face. Because I'm like, Lord, this can be hard to hear sometimes for us. And I believe that you're calling me right now to go to a church that I don't know anyone and share hard truths from the scripture. That's not easy. Father, help me to do it in such a way that is loving, that recognizes my need for you, first and foremost. But it's hard in our individual lives to share the truth and love with other brothers and sisters in Christ and those who don't know Jesus. This can be a real challenge but always keeping at the forefront my need for him. But love tells the truth and discipleship requires love. Galatians 6 verses 1 through 2 put it this way. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is, if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourselves so that you will not be tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. 
This is one of my favorite scriptures. It's beautiful. Because the reality is, is that as we do life together, things are going to happen. The closer proximity that you have to me, you're going to realize, man, Joe, is, he's got some things that are off. You're going to see that. And as we do life, we're going to see that. The scripture says to make room and leave room for, for others' faults, because why? We all have them. We hang out, we're bound to see those things, right? As we're in proximity. But if we're doing this life together, and I see these things, and you see these things, or whatever, we are to come to one another in a spirit of gentleness, coming alongside each other, and having hard conversations. Like I said right in the beginning, I'm thankful for my friends who have poured into my life, who have had hard conversations with me that have challenged me in many areas. I'm better for that. And I hope that you have people in your world that are doing that too. Marriage is a great space for this. Right? When my wife and I got married, I all of a sudden learned that I wasn't perfect. (laughs) That I didn't have a lot of things figured out. That it wasn't about me all of a sudden, right? And then you have kids and you're like, whoa, it's even less about me. This is crazy. And then you start to learn all sorts of other fun stuff. Proximity. Right? My wife and I, in our marriage relationship, sorry, I'm going to throw this out there, like, we disciple one another. There are times when we have to have hard conversations. You know this if you're married. It's a reality. But that's a great picture of what we're supposed to be doing as the body of Christ. That we're to have that level of proximity with one another where we kind of know what's going on. Now, I'm not saying you have to air all your dirty laundry and you don't have to get up here and start professing everything. But we should be doing life together so that people know what's happening, that they can see and you can see them, etc. And we're having this conversation because the end goal is to be more like Jesus. Right? Do we agree? I hope so. Praise God. And I want to draw out the fact that if we truly love one another... If we truly love one another, then we will deal with one another in love, be teachable, and bear one another's burdens. When a brother or sister, right, comes with a loving rebuke to us, may we receive it and not allow bitterness to take root. And may those of us who are going to our brothers and sisters do so in a spirit of gentleness, never forgetting our need for Jesus and seeking to be restorative, not condemning. That's a big piece. Because if I truly love you, I'm going to come to you with an issue in love, not in a way to condemn you, but in a way to restore you. This is the spirit of gentleness. Because again, I love you. I don't want to tear you down. I want to build you up. I want you to see what I'm seeing so that you can look more like Christ. And I hope that you, seeing things in my life, will come to me in love so that I can be more like Christ. This is restorative, not condemning. Now, no one loves to be corrected. No one wants to be told they're doing it wrong. But Hebrews 12, verse 11 states, For the moment all discipline seems not to be pleasant but painful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's powerful, right? Because when we hear it, you know, when someone's telling us we're doing it wrong in, in, in whatever way, like that doesn't always feel great to me. 
It's not always pleasant. But those who have been trained by these things, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That again, I should long for that. And we also know that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Right? And again, he's our example and we walk through this together. And we know that God uses other people to speak into our lives. And one of the things a pastor friend of mine uh, taught me many years ago that's had a profound impact in my life is that we are to learn from grace that which we would learn from discipline. So that when we don't get what we deserve, this should drive us to deeper reverence for God, a deeper dependence on him, and a deeper desire to obey him. That grace within itself becomes a form of discipline as we're not to cheapen the grace of God and use it as a license to sin. Right? So we receive this grace in this process and we ought to have grace with one another. Being restorative, not condemning, so that we can grow together. And again, it's never easy to hear hard things, but it's always worth it. As Proverbs 12.1 states, One who loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates rebuke is stupid. I'm not going to lie. I looked up like every transition uh, translation to see if there was another one that didn't say stupid. They all pretty much do. So I think that's the point that's being communicated. Right? So I could literally get up here and say, don't be stupid. Right? But if we love discipline, we love knowledge. Right? Like if, we, if we're okay with this, if we're good with it, if we're teachable, if we understand we don't have it all figured out and we need help. This is a demonstration that we love knowledge and we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of understanding. That his discipline is for our good and we are to love this, not hate it. But again, so may we be people who receive rebuke or correction well. And most importantly, may we be a people who share the truth and love. That it's not about proving our point or tearing someone down. It must always be done with building up a brother or sister. I often say this, and I'll probably butcher my own quote, but it's okay. It's like, if I'm more concerned with trying to prove my point than proving Jesus, I've missed the point. Period. There's no other way around it. And this, this actually matters on social media exponentially. If you're on social media, it's easy to get wrapped up in stuff and then get defensive and want to prove your point. But even in social media, even on Facebook, am I more about proving Jesus than my point? Because if I'm not, I'm missing the point altogether. We can do that in any sphere. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with somebody and you realize all you're trying to do is win the argument. Let's not try to win the argument. Let's try to win people to Jesus. Period. And again, because we've talked about this earlier, something that's important to note is that a true loving rebuke requires proximity. It requires relationship. And it requires we do life together. A true loving rebuke requires proximity. 
Again, this means you're not stepping into spaces that you don't belong in, that you don't have relational proximity in. This is, this is important because we can do that, especially, again, on social media if you're using it. We can easily step into spaces that we have no business being in. We don't even know these people, and yet we're throwing our two cents in. Well, I, I can't believe you believe that, and blah, 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 blah. And then it turns into this whole big thing. They don't know us, and we don't know them. A true loving rebuke requires proximity. If, I, if I'm in relationship with you, if we are in proximity with one another, I can then speak into that with some level of authority because I know you and you know me. I've literally said that to people when I'm having these conversations, like, you know me. I've had people get mad at me and then come back to me and say, you know, I was mad at you at first based on what we talked about, but then I realized that you're for me. You're not against me. Praise God. Praise God that that's the case. Because I've had to step in hard spaces. That happens pastorally just along the way where you're sharing things people don't want to hear. But due to proximity, they can receive it. It might just take some time. And I praise God for that. And something to know as you work with, with people as we get into this discipleship process and something that was shared with me early on when, I, when God started stirring the idea of vocational ministry, right? My pastor at the time, his name was Pastor Brad Belcher, he shared something with me that uh, I have found to be true time and time again. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, Joe, you're going to pour into people and they are going to vomit all over you. Yeah, that was kind of my reaction too. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm so glad God is calling me into that. I can't wait to be vomited on. But it's true. But what's even more true is that from time to time, I'm the one who does the vomiting. That's important to keep in front of us. I've said it several times a few different ways, so hopefully you leave here and realizing that you're in desperate need of Jesus just as much as the person that you're seeking to correct or come alongside. But now let's put it all together. We're nearing the end. We only have about two hours left, so we're good. But I want to put it all together and look at why making disciples is so very important. Our obedience is not only worship, it is testimony. Our obedience is not only worship, it is testimony. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to read a section of Scripture in Acts chapter 2. Many of you are probably familiar with it, but I think it illustrates the point very well. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The point to draw out of this is that Christianity is contagious when genuinely lived out. Christianity is contagious when genuinely lived out. Track with me here a little bit because there's a tension. But this is the early church. 
They're learning from the apostles. They're breaking bread together. They're taking care of one another. So much so that they're selling property to make sure that no one has any needs. And the result, the lost and dying around them are taking notice. They see something so radical that they can't help but ask questions. They're seeing something so profound. They're watching an entire community make sure that everyone's needs are met. Could you imagine selling your property back then, or now, just so that someone else didn't have a need? And a lot of us, we got like five TVs in our, our, our house, and we'd be like, I ain't selling one of them. I need that one in the bathroom. <laughs> you guys are warming up. It's good. Yeah. Me too. But you see what I'm saying, though? Like, they're selling their stuff so that people can eat. There's no needs. The world is watching and is like, what is going on around us? This is crazy. Because you got to remember, man, Peter preached that sermon. You got thousands of people coming to Christ. That whole community is like, what is happening? Because they're seeing something so different. And this is all birthed out of a love for God, right? This is obedience. They're doing life together in such a way that the world sees this and wants to be a part of it. They're asking questions. And sometimes in our day today, the church, uh, or the world thinks of the church, and instead of wanting to be a part of it, they tend to want to be away from it. That's tragic. And a lot of it is, is because we've missed this part, and we've all gone into our little individual bubbles and silos, and we're just kind of content there. Because it's comfortable. Following Jesus is not comfortable. It's not intended to be. That's the whole deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. None of that's comfortable. You got disciples dropping their nets, leaving their dad and, and ghosting, and saying, hey, we're going to go follow this guy. We're going to go follow Jesus. That changes everything for them. They didn't know what was next. Many of them going to their death. But here's the whole crux of it. Because when we come together and we genuinely live for Christ, when we come together, this is, says this in verses 46 and 47, right? Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. When it says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved, there is no question of conversion, right? We don't have to wonder, like, were they, were they really saved, though? Yeah. When it says that, that means that. That God was adding to the number those who were saved. Praise God. They had favor with all the people, and people were coming to know Christ. This is the picture. This is what this is to look like. Because our obedience to God, this is not just worship, it is testimony. So that the world sees and says, man, I want every bit of that. If you're a good studier of the word, you know Matthew 5, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light. And you don't cover that light. You actually go, and it's not so they glorify you, but they glorify your Father in heaven when they see your good deeds, correct? Correct. When we are doing this together, when we are living life together genuinely for Christ, beautiful things happen in our own lives and in the lives of those who don't know him. 
And I say this a lot, but it keeps me grounded and focused. And it's a driving force. And I am going to do my best not to cry. Promise. I had kids and I just started crying about everything. If I do start crying, it's because of allergies. Right. But here's the reality. The way we live matters because there are lives at stake. I worked at a church for a number of years. That's what I did. But when I got the call to Youth for Christ... It's where I knew I, I knew I belonged because I could be in the community reaching people who did not know Jesus because their lives matter. And I know that I can be an example, not always the best, and I seek to learn and seek to grow so that these young people whose lives matter could taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. This is a driving force in my life because I take it serious. I believe that. That I may be, the, you know, the cliche, the only Bible that these kids ever see, right? The only representation of Jesus they may ever encounter. And their lives matter. And if we understand the gospel, if we understand what we've been called into, if we understand that we've been brought from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, if we understand that we've gone from death to life, if we truly understand these things then discipleship and evangelism will be a regular part of our lives as we seek to worship God through how we live so that others may come to know him. I mean, that's it. That could be the mic drop. (laughs) But here's the thing. This is about genuinely following Jesus. This isn't about a formula that if I do X, Y, Z, God is going to do a thing. Right? Because the tension in the fact that Christianity is contagious when it's genuinely lived out is this interesting dynamic that Jesus said will be hated by all because of his name. So we have to remember that it is God who does the work and that we're going to go out and we're going to share the gospel and we're going to live genuinely for Christ and we're going to be putting forth the things that God has called us to do and we're going to go out there and we're going to be about that. And you're going to have people that are either going to reject it or receive it. And that's God's work. He's responsible in that, in that part. I'm just responsible to follow him and do what he's called me to do. How people respond, that's between them and the Lord. But there's that, there's that obvious tension. It didn't say that the Lord said that in, in Acts 2 that everyone there came to Christ. It just said that he was adding to the number day by day, right? I'm sure there were people that were seeing what was going on that still thought things were crazy and didn't want any part of that. But there were those who heard the call and said, yeah, I want that. And so we walk in this tension, trusting God with the yield, right? We're either going to be received with the message and they're going to come to know Jesus or they're going to reject and will likely persecute to some level. That's God's business. But I'm going to live for God and trust him with those around me. And now I'm at the closing point, so we're good. Okay? You guys still tracking with me? All right, hopefully I'm not going way over your time. All right, cool. I'm not. Oh, let's keep going then. All right. But in closing, I want to read another passage that may be familiar to you. And I want to lead out by saying that this is not some cute saying from Jesus, that this is a command that we are to obey. This isn't Jesus trying to sound cool, cute, want to give his disciples something to do. No, this is like a command. And it's found in Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20. We know it as the Great Commission. But this is Jesus speaking. 
It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's discipleship. As individuals who are submitted to God's authority, those who proclaim the name of Jesus, we are to go. We have been given a mission. And if you pause and think about it, God has called us into the greatest mission of all time, his redemptive plan for all creation. I almost just said, I I speak very plainly. I almost said that's dope. I don't know if many of y'all would know what that is, but I think that's fantastic. That is exciting. That energizes me that the God of all creation has knocked on my door and said, Joe, I want you to be a part of my redemptive plan for this world. That should, that should like jazz us up. But instead we make it like, ah, I don't know. I'm not equipped to evangelize. I'm not equipped to do this, man. Stop it. Be excited that God has brought you into his redemptive plan and get about that. If you have breath in your lungs, you are a part of that plan. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a part of that plan and that should jazz us up. That should be the reason when we wake up in the morning that we put our feet to the bed, or no, don't put your feet to the bed, put your feet to the floor. That's a better way to get out of bed. Put your feet to the floor and say, Lord, have your way in me today. Have your way out there, have your way in here, whatever. Let's just go and do it taking every opportunity. Now, I'm not saying you got to go to the mall with a sign that says Jesus loves you, and and you can do that. That's fine. But our lives should be reflecting the love of Christ through word and deed everywhere we're going, everywhere we're at, at all times. And this is joy. This is excitement. You want to live a life that matters? This is that life. One of the most beautiful truths in these verses is that the one who calls us to go, goes with us. Jesus says, go, and he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, right? Like Jesus is like, look, go, and you have his spirit, right? The very power and presence of God resides in us as believers. We are not going alone. We are going with our Lord. This is beautiful, So the obvious final point is, therefore, go. Wait until we're done here, I guess, but go. And for me, I'm thankful that there were people that took this call seriously. From the person who shared the gospel with me when I was 20 years old, to the people along the way that kept watering, to the, to the pastor who sat down with me when I was like, today is the day, let's do this. I'm thankful for those people that took this call serious because I would not be where I am today if not for the grace of God and the love of God demonstrated by people of God who take the word of God seriously. So may we be a people who take the word of God seriously. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much. Father, may it be evident that we are your children. May it be so clear as we live our lives that we are madly in love with you. 
Lord, help us to do life together. Help us to take you seriously so that we may be a witness to this world who is searching. What a great time to be alive, Lord. You have placed us here in this moment, in this time period, so that we could be a beacon of hope. That we could show people that there is so much more to this life and that you are life itself, Lord. And Father, I thank you again for this place and I pray that you do a mighty work here, that the people of this neighborhood and this area may come to know you, that they may see Hope Church as just a place where they are loved, as a place of truth, and as a light in the midst of an ever-present darkness. So Lord, I praise you for this place. And we thank you again for all that you're doing, all that you've done, and all that you will do. And it is in Jesus' most amazing and precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe.